You're listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Nazir Jamal and welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com from the east coast of South Africa in sunny Durban. AccidentalMuslim.com is a platform and a movement where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. We hope to add value to your life, so listen up and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum, my name is Shabnam Palesa Muhammad and you are listening to AccidentalMuslims.com. This wonderful day, we have Sister Shabnam Palisa Muhammad, a social justice activist, journalist, attorney, and creative. She's uh, studied a law degree at the University of KwaZulu-Natal and was admitted as an attorney. She's represented homeless, shack dwellers, children, youth, women, workers, and many other victims of injustice. She's done this all self-funded and unfunded, as people who need justice most all the time, actually, do not have the resources. Uh, Shabnam is uh, passionate about working with developing, uh, or rather working and developing social justice lawyers, especially female or disadvantaged. Uh, She was honored to serve two terms on the board of veteran NGO Advice Desk for the Abused, which was co-founded by former UN Judge Navi Pillay. She was uh, diagnosed uh, in 2007 with a rare blood condition. She's grateful to be in remission in 2006, and uh, she actually spoke about it um, and about the abuses that she faced as a child and as an adult in the newspaper of Sunday Tribune in 2010. In 2012, she launched Stand Up Foundation, an activism empowerment NPO. Stand Up works on the ground and online on interconnected local, global, and social justice issues and ideas for change. She's also uh, an acclaimed multimedia journalist. Uh, she's part of the print media and Daily News, Sunday Times. Um, she's uh, interviewed many change makers. Uh, today we're interviewing her, but she's actually interviewed Fatima Mir, uh, the late filmmaker Junaid Ahmed, and even the cartoonist uh, Jonathan Shapiro, or Zapiro as we know him. Uh, she's a columnist and many other issues, especially human rights issues facing uh, the community in South Africa and globally. Uh, she's been on radio. She has also done a film. We'll talk about that a little later on. In addition to all of this, she's also a media commentator. She's been on many radio stations and, and media platforms uh, discussing issues of human rights uh, close to Palestine, issues locally, uh, as well as uh, featuring on many uh, TV channels like SABC. And in all of this, she has a creative side. And that's what we'll also talk about uh, a little later on, where she writes and performs social justice poetry. She loves the work of Jalal Rumi, uh, just like myself, and she loves creating visual art and uh, is uh, part of the graphic design arena and website management. And in in this, why we wanted to speak to her. Uh, Much more can be said, but she's currently working with the renowned Center of Fine Arts. And that's where we're actually recording uh, today's podcast in this beautiful little uh, office. And I'd love to for everyone when they come to Durban, uh, or if you're in Durban, to visit this place. Uh, It was founded by Nanda Subin, um, and she's in the Communications, Marketing and Public Relations Office of the Center for Fine Arts and animation design. Well, let's uh, welcome uh, Shabnam Palisa Mohammed to AccidentalMuslims.com. Assalamu alaikum, revolutionary peace, and uh, my infinite gratitude to Accidental Muslims for this opportunity to hopefully inspire people and um, activate change. Where, where did it all start? Tell us about your young life. What I remember most about my young life is my grandmother, may the Almighty grant her Janna. She um, passed on in December and uh, I can easily describe her as the love of my life. And I remember her teaching me so much growing up with her, 
about loving the poor, um, about respecting people who have less than you, even though she wasn't herself a rich or wealthy person. Um, but more than that empathy and sympathy, also doing something about it and things that she would do, uh, which I've since you know, come to realize she was an activist in her own right, is, is growing food and, and distributing and sharing that with the, the poor people in her area. Um, or if someone you know, needed an ID document or needed their, their pension sorted out, she would go with them to the pensions office and to home affairs and fight to them if she needed to, yeah. uh, to help this person get um, what they so desperately needed. So that's, that's you know, my most enduring memory of my young life is my grandmother. It's a beautiful memory to have. Uh, is she still alive? She's passed on in December last year. Oh, Allah grant her the highest stage in China, inshallah. Well, I mean, you then went into study law at mm. UKZN. Tell us about that journey. Well, law seemed to be a, a sort of a natural progression for me. Again, coming up from seeing the poverty, seeing people suffering, wanting to make that difference. Um, and also my own experience as a child, having experienced um, childhood sexual abuse, on more than one occasion um, and wanting to to defend children who are the most vulnerable members of society and so law was 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 one of my choices occupational therapy was the other again working with children but the bus for the interview you know it drove right past me and i said okay i'm accepted for law maybe there's some divine guidance in there yeah let me go and study law it was good it was a good experience um UKZN is, is an interesting campus, many things happening there, including some vibrant fees must fall protests, which I'm in support of. Um, in terms of the curriculum, I would say one of the things that really surprised me studying there, and this was just after 94, uh, is learning about our constitution and, and, and being shocked when one day we had to answer an exam question related to the constitution and a hypothetical situation where people wanted housing. Um, and uh, my response was straight, right to housing, it's in the constitution, we have to make that happen as a nation. And I didn't do very well for that because in the constitution there's a section 36 which says any right here can be limited according to yes. the section. Yes. Um, and, and I was horrified because it, it said <laughs> we've grown up believing the constitution is the, the holy grail so to speak. Yeah. But in reality as we know all these years after democracy it's not really the case. Yeah. So, um, so yeah I think human rights need to be more of a lived reality than a paper tiger. That's beautiful. I mean, we, we, I deal with the Constitution on, uh, constantly with working in government, and I, exactly that. I mean, we see that people still come to us and say, well, that's my right, but it, technically it's not. Mm. You know, we have maybe the government sometimes has more right over people than actually the rights they have. Yeah. And it's a, it's a misconception that people have. Mm. And I'm glad we, we can educate people uh, more and more on that. Well, I think we must too, Nazir, because we must do that because um, your, your human rights is not something that any government can give you mm. or any document can give you. It's something you're born with. Absolutely. It's something your almighty gives you. So it's something that you really really need to live uh, in your interactions with other people, to respect other people's human rights, but also to fight to defend those human rights, to make sure that um, the power of the people is stronger than people in power.
So tell us some of the cases you've dealt with. You said you've done um, cases where with victims of homelessness, uh, shack dwellers, children, youth, uh, even workers, uh, and obviously women. Um, I'm sure there's been some cases that had some great impact or something that you know, really sticks to your, to your heart. There's so many. You know, it's difficult to choose just one. But since we've mentioned the homeless first, and, and, and that's a group of people that are extremely close to my heart. I mean, I live in the CBD. Mm. I'm surrounded by the homeless who are family to me. Um, and and as poverty gets worse and unemployment gets worse, more of us are going to end up there. Mm. So you can't see yourself as above the homeless. You know, you could be there next. You don't know. Um, two, three years back, um, I was doing a patrol in the CBD because some of my homeless friends had said that they were being beaten up by private security, hired by the municipality um, and private security companies because that's the way homelessness is dealt with. We'll yeah. beat them, we'll, we'll, we'll gas them, we'll rob them, we'll rape them, we'll dump them, we'll murder them. So I was doing a, a patrol with my uh, weapon being my voice <laughs> and my loud hailer, wow. a very powerful tool. And I was talking to one of my homeless friends on the street in which I stay, and I said to him, have you heard this? He says, yes, that's exactly what's happening. We're being terrorized, you know, and it continues to this date. Uh, and we look down the road, and I can see Gray Street, or you should be Yusuf Dadu Street, Masjid, right? Yeah. And just past that Emmanuel Cathedral, and just past that the market. And I can see flashing lights, ambulance. So I asked one security guard across the road, what's happening? He says, no, there's been another attack on the homeless. So there I go, alone walking in this direction and I, and I come there it's an, it's an absolute it's chaos it's a bloodbath um, ambulance police homeless people crying bodies on the ground nine homeless people had been shot one of them was a nine-year-old boy shot six times in the back which tells you what he was trying to run right. away yeah. two of them died um, I tried to interact with, you know, the people on the scene, the ambulance, the police. Of course, they didn't want me anywhere near there, didn't want us to take photographs. They started taking videos of me. Um, and then the homeless people, some of which, like I said, they're my family, they're my friends. And what, what happened here? And they told me what had happened. They were sleeping under the bridge. This attack happened, again, to drive the poor out of the city. It's called gentrification. Yeah. Um, and, and this is what happened. And, you know, SABC News came and did... Uh, an interview with me, it's on YouTube, where we talk about this and we talk about the persecution of our poor, and that's your crime, you're poor, you so therefore you're a criminal. Yeah. Um, no investigation, up to now there's been no justice, and that is not even 0.0001% of the issues facing our homeless in our city, in our country, and around the world. But just to talk about that, some, some would say this is a, a, a life choice that they've made, that this is where they want to live and this is how they're living, and that they shouldn't be here. What would you say to someone that? I would say it's nonsense. I don't think anyone chooses to live on the street where you're exposed to the elements, the cold, um, not knowing where you're going to get your next meal from, your possessions being stolen when you're being beaten and gassed and raped and, and picked up and thrown in the back of a van and dumped in toti and you've got to walk back because only in the city you might have a chance that somebody might give you something to eat, somebody might give you a one rand, somebody might smile at you and realize mm. you're a human being. Mm. I don't think anybody chooses to live that way. Um, but having said that, I think I understand why some people think, okay, it's a choice. 
people get depressed it's depressing living as a homeless person so you may appear that you're complacent because you know you, you don't have the motivation to go yeah. out and try but if you don't even have food in your stomach it's easy to say get a job if you don't have food in your stomach if you don't have a home where you can go and sleep in it's not that easy i think we often speak from a place of privilege mm. um in relation to the poor um but there's amazing people out there i mean i met someone who was a physicist teaches you know they're just out of jobs because the economy is what it is yeah. um and and they really don't have another choice some of them also running away from home children are running away from home because of abuse mm. because the home can't maintain one more child yeah. someone's got to sacrifice someone decides i can't i'll leave i'll fend for myself and that's what happens it's a stark reality that we we don't actually know Yeah, we need to know a lot more about it. I think we need to do more documentaries about what it's like to live as a homeless people so that we not just sympathize but we stand with the homeless. Well, that brings up to the point of the organization Stand Up Foundation, mm. uh, which started in 2012. Um it's termed an activism empowerment NPO. Mm-hmm. What is activism empowerment? Well, activism is simple. You feel a particular way about justice and injustice. and you do something about it mm. and everyone can do something what we're doing now is a form of activism because we're talking about changing the world um but there's so many ways the first step is to know what your rights are and the second is to have the tools to know what you can do about it whether that's a petition that's a video it's going out and doing a soup kitchen it's protesting on the ground it's sharing information on social media um You know there's all of these different range of things that you can do. Often people feel helpless like you know what's going on with the Rohingya in Myanmar. What do I do? There is always something you can do. Share information, educate yourself about the issues, mm. talk to other people. I think it goes beyond petitions. I think petitions are important, but it really goes beyond that and you need to find a way in which you can make a difference. Even even if that's from sharing information and planting a seed, someone may not know. Like for Palestine for example, There's lots of people who are unaware of what's going on because the propaganda coming in from yeah. Zionist Israel is what it is. Yeah. Um, but if you sit and talk to them and you show them information, for me, that makes you an activist. So what Stand Up does basically is teach you your rights, teach you how to stand up for them, not only your rights, but the rights of other people. Mm. Um, and inspired very much by my own experience of abuse, which when I tried to seek justice for it, didn't happen because of corruption. Mm. Um, and, and it's a serious reality that our children face in trying, in particular our children, trying to get justice is corruption. Our children's lives are being bought and sold. Um, whether that's from social workers, police, presiding officers at court, mm. you know it's it's a really a money making scheme a and scary cycle that happens it is a scary cycle mm. and the more empowered we are about our rights and about activism the more we can actually make a difference so this leads us to actual vulnerable communities mm. um do you think with the work that's being done in in the ngo field and in government is it really helping is there a progressive trend that is showing a positive impact or do you think there's a lot more work to be done I think there's amazing work being uh, being being done like I was saying to you earlier when you log on to Facebook or any of the other platforms and you see the work that people are doing like um the right to our seed at the moment they are corporate um 
monsters like Monsanto, yeah. you know, which are spraying our food with insecticides. But what they're also doing is trying to buy our right to own seeds, to trade seeds. So basically, you controlling the food supply. Corporate giant. You know, you're yeah. poisoning the food supply. Um, so there's a lot of active work being done there for food sovereignty and our rights to be able to grow food, to share food, to, to share seeds. So when I see things like that, I'm hugely inspired. And there's so many unsung heroes out there. Mm. If you were to say to me, who are your role models? I'll say to you, at least half of them, I can't give a name to. Mm. But I see their work, you know, and I appreciate that because it plants seeds in my mind. It motivates me to do more. So yes, in a number of areas, whether it's a right to access to information, um, whether it's children's rights, whether it's women's rights, the rights of our workers, there's a lot being done. Not all of it is consolidated into an NPO or an NGO per se. Right. A lot of people out there just doing their thing because mm. they're passionate about it. But yes, we have a long way to go. We face a lot of challenges with funding, mm-hmm. um, especially if you um, tramp on some toes. You might not get that funding. Yeah. You're challenging the very system that people are so comfortable with, with the status quo. You, you're not going to get that funding. So you're going to have to find other ways. You're going to have to raise funds. Sometimes organizations find themselves shutting down because they can't make it anymore. So yeah. yes, I think we've come a long way. Um, and in as many issues as there are in the world, sometimes people say to me, but there's no hope. And I say, no, but there is. Mm. There's never been as many awake people in the world or woke people in the world right um on the ground and online and i'm very inspired by that and uh more power to them absolutely and i wish we could work together i think that could be a real solution-based uh project that uh the the work is being done Mm. but i think we work in our silos and it's Mm. important for us to hopefully network and and start working together now Sometimes we've got to talk about something personal. And, mm. and uh, in 2007, you were diagnosed with a rare blood condition. Mm. And you were, you've been in remission since 2016. And in 2010, you went public via print in the Sunday Tribune about your abuse as an experience as a child, as an adult. I mean, this must have been a very difficult period for you and a time for you. But do you think this is what gave you sort of a, a new purpose or a purpose in life? Absolutely. Alhamdulillah. You know, the, the experiences we have in life shape and define you, but you also have a choice as to how they're going to define you. Um, starting with the childhood abuse, as I said, multiple instances of childhood sexual abuse. Um, at least one in three of our children are abused. Mm. And, and I, I grew up feeling the trauma of that it happened once, it happened again, maybe it's me. A child should not have to think that way, yeah. you know? Um, and then I eventually came out about it, uh, but it was a journey to get to 2010 where, I mean, I had been talking about it for, for, for years, but to go public about it, it was a big step. But the feedback from people saying, I, you, you inspired me, I now can speak out about what I've been through, including boys and men mm. who are encouraged not to talk about this thing because you're a male and you must just deal with it. And you must know. know. You must just know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was it was really gratifying and fulfilling and I knew that I'd make the right decision because, again, we're inspiring other people to stand up for themselves and to stand up for the rights of other people. Um, and it freed me from that prison of fear. You know, mm. I've spoken out about it. I've released the abuser's power over me. Absolutely. So very liberating. Um, and then I think perhaps part of the reason that I had the blood, um, blood disorder slash leukemia is as a result of that abuse of having kept it inside and not spoken about it. Mm. So um, diagnosed in 2007, 
um, my dermatologist said to me, you know, I know you came to see me about skin, but we have a bigger problem, your platelets, which is the cell that clots your blood, it's sitting over a million. So I was like, okay, great, I'll get to the doctor. I don't know what this means. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. No, I'm surprised you're still alive. You need to go to uh, oncologist or hematologist like today. And find out, yeah. You know, so, and then it's been, it's been, it's in, it was horrid because these medication, the first one that I took, I passed out cold because the palpitations is not, you know, your body's not used to it. It's mm. toxic, right? Mm. Big pharma. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, surgeries and hospital visits and side effects of medication and dealing with fatigue and uh, depression. Again, one of the lovely side effects of this medication. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sometimes medical personnel who are not sensitive to what you're going through. You mm. just sort of this factory production machine. Okay, that's wrong with you. I'll give you that. Go away. Good luck. <laughs> and being told, well, you have a few good years left. Mm. Very scary. Um, but Alhamdulillah, I think it gave me a sense of, again, purpose. If I'm being told I only have a few good years or a few years left, what's really important in life? Absolutely. What, what change do I want to achieve in this world? And if you were to ask me what my greatest fear is, I think it's not making enough of a difference in the world. So the Almighty gives us these challenges in life to test us to shake us up so that we realize what's important. And I feel very blessed to have gone through these things. It's just a matter of what I do with it. Um, and I think I'm on the right track. I really love the the positive attitude. And I think that alone would be inspiring people who may be going through similar kind of experiences in their life. Uh, so, so really big ups to you on that. It's really, really heartwarming to find someone who can think like that. Alhamdulillah. So speaking about this, finding purpose and I think it's accidentalmuslims.com is is really trying to help people find that purpose or live with this purpose. What advice would you give with someone who's, who's struggling to, to kind of you know find their purpose in this vast world? You know, I think sometimes when you face challenges, you feel like it's only you that's going through it. So true. You know, and it's like I say to a lot of people, whether it's women that I'm counseling about domestic violence or even men that I'm counseling about domestic violence, it's a very real issue. Mm in that as much as you're going through something painful right now, it's not the story of your entire life. It may be a chapter, it may be a page, it may even be one line, but it's not your whole life. And guess what? Fortunately or unfortunately, you're not the only one to go through it. You're not the first, you won't be the last. But realize that the fact that you've realized you're going through this thing and that it's hurting you or that it's wrong is that first step to overcoming it. So that's what we need to do. We need to overcome it and um, find inspiration. You know, I find inspiration in so many things from conversations I have, from a flower that's growing through the concrete and saying, I'm here, I exist, um, from art, from music. Um, find inspiration around you, but also make an attempt to reach out to people that you find motivating. Connect with them, make that effort. You'd be surprised how many people are actually willing to reach out to you as well. So that's what the Almighty has ordained for you. You're just an unfortunate being, and that's, a, that's the extent to your life, mm. and that's it. It's not. The Quran in itself tells us that we will be tested. And our last prophet, amongst the others, peace be upon them, was an activist. So he didn't just give up and resign to whatever was happening around him, whether he was experiencing something difficult or injustice or the people around him. He went and did something about it. 
He motivated himself, he motivated other people, and he went through periods of depression and grief Absolutely. and trauma. But after every difficulty comes ease. And we have to remember that. And, and that's the advice I would give to people out there is the rainbows are out there. You just got to look for them. So one of the things I've noticed is, um, and I'm sure there's research being done about this, uh, this increasing gap between the rich and the poor. And we see it in developing countries, but you know, it's also in developed countries now. I was in the UK recently and I saw there were homeless people there. There were people who were was, who was, who facing abuse and so mm. on. There was organizations that I met there. So it's, 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 a, it's a global phenomenon, shall I say. Mm. But in addition to that, there's a growing disconnect. And again, this is what I feel, this, this growing disconnect between the donor and the recipient, especially with the advent of you know, EFTs and mm. you know, click here, PayPal, it goes yeah. directly into someone's account. And you kind of think, oh, I did my duty, I've paid my kurbani, I've helped some communities in Africa tick. somewhere, tick the box. Yeah. Um, how important do you feel is it for donors to start getting involved on the ground? Or? I think it's absolutely critical. You, you can't be sitting in your armchair conveniently just clicking on pay and, and find I've done, you know, in my ledger, I've ticked charity, done. But again, you're forgetting where our primary example, how he used to live his life on the ground with the poor, not seeing them as the other, but rather of us, you know. And so developing that empathy comes with being able to connect with them, whether it's the homeless or it's shack dwellers or it's women or it's children or it's workers. And again, all struggles are, are connected. I don't want to just divide them as women's issues or children's issues or workers' issues. So yes, it's, it's absolutely important to get away from, okay, maybe some people say I'm too busy, I don't have the time. But when you try it, when you get on the ground and you really get to experience the hardships that people are going through but their gratitude that you've done something and that something could be you bought a box of crayons for a child you you organized a soup kitchen you know an organization doing some great multimedia work so you sponsor them some video equipment you know <laughs> there's there's so many things you can do it's it's not just about i'm able to dispense a million and that's it everybody has somebody even skills um, donation that you can do you may not have money but you're able to lend your graphic design skills. You're able to take part uh, in a medical camp. So again, getting on the ground is exceptionally important and it really changes your life. I mean, we've experienced so many people who come to work on one or other project, have never done it before. Sometimes they're a little bit nervous, but they walk away from there with their lives absolutely changed. Mm. And um, it's fulfilling and it's very rewarding. And I think it ignites your humanity um, and that's what it should be. It shouldn't just be a case of top-down sort of donor-recipient, no. It's a circle, we're all in it together and we need to see it that way. I love it. So using your skills for the better of others. Absolutely. I, I think that's where it leads us to, to sometimes you know, the awards that we receive. And I, I've spoken to someone else recently and they said their award was seeing others happy. You know, these, you know, general awards that we get and so on are nothing when you see that change in someone's life or that eureka moment someone goes through. But yourself have been very lucky to be awarded many accolades, such as the inaugural Lady Fatima Award for the work that you with impoverished and vulnerable children and women, also being nominated for the Woman of Wonder Award. Do you think there's enough space for, for women like yourself um, or opportunities for young women rather, especially young Muslims in South Africa or globally, to participate and be involved in civil society? Yes and no. Um, 
on one hand you have to create those opportunities for yourself you can't wait for somebody else to do it for you so find like-minded people develop the spaces and the opportunities and know it's not easy but you can be on the ground you can create opportunities there you can create opportunities online you can do a combination just find like-minded people and do something you know you never quite know until you try so no it's not easy um but yes it is some of the challenges that we face as as women is of course the patriarchy the misogyny the sexism um being treated differently or as less or inferior because of your gender which mm. absolutely doesn't make sense and i think part of that stems from this conception that the almighty is male yeah you know and and sometimes when i try to have discussions about this on facebook people actually get really cross they're like <laughs> how can you even ask the question or how can you say that the almighty is genderless because the almighty is genderless absolutely right? he says it himself so yes so i mean if you grow up believing because we can't only when we're having a conversation about sexism we have to talk to both we can't mm. only talk to the females the males themselves grow up believing this they're programmed and brainwashed so they treat women in that way whether it's in the home the business environment community development but there are changes but it it's up to us to speak like i mean i go to some events sometimes and i'll see okay there's a separation first of all between the male humans and the female humans the male humans may have a mic so that they can ask questions the female humans no such thing yeah but along the last couple of years i have to say there have been some serious changes but again that comes from speaking out you sitting there and and complaining to the person next to you but not saying hang on can we please have a mic Absolutely. so we can speak <laughs> you know you can do it with a smile that's human it's nature fine, right? <laughs> complain and complain but don't do anything about exactly. it exactly so so yeah but i think i think there's a lot of great things that young women or women themselves are doing out there and some of that we're exposed to on facebook so um more power to them you know one of the the rallying cries that we have in south africa is watinta bafazi watinta mbokoto which means different things it doesn't just mean physical abuse it also means disrespect mm. or not seeing a woman as equal to you just because of her gender but things are changing and um there's hope out there because we can't change the world if we expect 50% of us to sit on the sideline and don't do anything mm. you know not that i'm sexist but most of the problems in the world like war <laughs> are created by the male gender right we'll need a whole another podcast for that. you know <laughs> so so yeah we just need to all get in there and realize that we're in it together and uh, and that's the way forward yeah so i mean you as a social activist mm. uh, you you deal with a lot of um, various forms of media but in, what you've done is instead of becoming you know the story you wanted to tell the story mm. and i love that um so you've got a experience in a national and and even a local level on various media platforms but there was one that you spoke uh, what other when we spoke before you told me about was directing and presenting a face to face media film called rise cliff falling mm. which was about horrific abuse and racism experienced by youth at a school in chatswood here right here in durban in durban please tell me more about that well the school is called rise cliff and which is why the film is called rise cliff falling and what had happened was on the day we launched stand up um at the center for fine arts when it was based in kawi road we had children attend the launch would heard about the organization launching um and said to us that they need help they're experiencing uh, verbal psychological physical abuse um racism 
you know, gangs being sent after them, you know, um, of course, the insidious arm of corruption involved in it all that enables this kind of abuse and injustice to continue. And so we tried to reach out to the school, to the principal, to the teachers to say, we, we want to sit down and have a conversation about this because these students had signed a petition, 300 of them. The article was in the Sunday Times. But the management of the school was completely denying that there was anything going on there. It takes guts for 300 students to, to go and sign this petition against all the odds. Yeah. So we then decided to go into the school with our cameras um, and, and record a documentary. Uh, without the permission of the school because obviously if it asks for permission first of all you won't get it second of all you won't get the truth everything yeah. just hunky-dory so we went in there did some undercover footage did some interviews with the students who told us what they were experiencing um, and, and again gross violations of their rights from the abuse to the racism um, to to parents of poorer children being told if you can't pay your fees come and wash the windows you know and inevitably that affects only the poor students and inevitably yeah. predominantly black students so it was horrific and you could see the trauma on the faces of these students and and you could see their fear when as we were recording with them the principal walks in the camera still recording you can see this fear in this child's face and what is going to happen to me um, and then they called us into their office and called the cops on us and wanted to have me arrested and, you know, that wouldn't be the first time. Uh, so that's what the film is about. It's basically talking about the issues at the school. There's, there's undercover footage, uh, you know, showing the fear of the students, telling their stories. Uh, we've interviewed two girls and two boys from the school and um, there was never any investigation, complete cover up by the powers that be. Um, at the end, you know, the principal said, yeah, can you make an appointment? We're happy. We'll roll out the red carpet. Of course, that never happened. Yeah. So those students have since moved on. But hopefully we planted some seeds and we motivated them and encouraged them to be activists. Yes, you must stand up for your rights. So, um, so yeah, that's Rice Club Falling. And again, that's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. Ah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, and then this comes to the point of using media, using art, um, it's, and it has an incredible way of telling a story. And it, mm. we just spoke about earlier also about how this new generation want to hear five-minute clips and that's it, right? right? They want to watch this long story. Right. But that's important for us to be in the scene as Muslims, right? Mm. So do you think there's, there's a real need for Muslims to get more involved in the art scene? Well, absolutely. For one, we've always been involved in the arts. So how do you define the arts? It's visual art. Um, it's poetry. <laughs> You know, filmmaking is an art. Mm. Everything, everything is art, you know. So, so yes, I would say it's exceptionally important for Muslims to become uh, more skilled in these areas or to use their natural aptitudes. Sometimes you think, oh, I can't do art. But have you tried, you know? Have you tried? Have you just been told that all you need to, all you can actually become is a doctor or an engineer or an accountant? No disrespect to those areas. But the art sector... Um, again, whether it's poetry or visual arts or graphic design or multimedia, is, is one, uh, <clears throat> an opportunity to express yourself, but two, highly employable. 95% of the students that come to the Center for Fine Art, for example, are either employed, start their own businesses. Um, so so the, the figures support us. They grow the economy. They, they get to, to develop industry, to participate in 
national and international related events. So I would definitely say for Muslims who are also experiencing um, you know, some real atrocities around the world. And having said that, we're not alone in it. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel more for a Muslim person than I do for a non-Muslim person who's going through some sort of injustice. But if you have the tools to be able to express that injustice, or to inspire people to do something about it through art, through a flyer, um, through telling your story through film, then you're able to create more of a change. Then you're not helpless anymore sitting at home and thinking, what can I actually do about it? No, you have the skills, you can do something, you must do something. So we've listened to this amazing journey of your life and now where you're working with creative arts, uh, fine arts. Uh, where to from here for the organization and for yourself? Well, um, Stand Up, which is the NPO, is going five years. Um, unfunded, self-funded, um, and there's much more we want to do to roll out programs and workshops, human rights training, activism training, campaign training. Um, so we're looking at uh, funders, but also raising our own funding. And um, that's where we're at in terms of stand-up. We'll continue with the work. The funding will help us, but the Almighty is always there. I have registered a law practice, uh, finally. Um, I've done a lot of work for free over the years and I'll obviously always continue to do that. That's just part of my genetic makeup, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, law practice, developing the law practice and uh, working here at the Center for Fine Art, Animation and Design founded by Dr. Dr. Subin, South Africa's first black political cartoonist, Amnesty International awardee, you know, huge source of inspiration. And with the students that are here, making sure that the school progresses, that we get to take the arts to other cities, to rural areas where our schools um, don't really get that opportunity to, to even know what art is, leave alone to practice or to learn those skills or to be able to empower themselves to, to, um, to succeed in life using the arts. So I would say those are the areas in which I'm, I'm strongly focused um, is stand-up, is uh, developing my law practice, but <clears throat> along the lines of human rights work and um, making sure that CFAD, which is now 23 years old, continues for another 123 years. Uh, That's the vision. Inshallah. I mean. And uh, would you share with us a, a, funny, a funny moment in your life? You know, I didn't have much of a chance to think about this one, but I do remember one incident at Ushaka, which is right here in Durban, Ushaka Marine World. Um, <clears throat> I was doing an empowerment workshop with some young people, and uh, after the event, there were a couple of us involved. And after the event, we were supposed to go and have coffee at the Royal. And so my fellow um, workshop facilitators had jumped into this vehicle. I can't remember what it was now, but it was this loaf-shaped mint color. Can't miss it. There's not very many of them out there. And so I said, okay, uh, where are we going? Are we going to go to the Royal? Okay, I'll follow you. Okay, you follow me put my safety belt on, they left, I left, following them, following them, and I'm wondering why are these people actually speeding up? I'm not exactly doing like a fast and furious thing here, like what is yeah. actually going on? So I'm like driving and now the speed is increasing, I'm like okay, I have no idea, finally we get to a garage, I'm like, okay, maybe the plan changed, we're not going to the Royal anymore, we're just going to grab a cup of coffee from the garage. So I roll my window down to ask them, what is going on? And then that window from that vehicle goes on. It turns out I followed the wrong vehicle. <laughs> it was this petrified looking mother and daughter, I assume, who thought I was actually trying to hijack oh, them. Shit. You know, I was driving a Golf at the time and apparently it's like hijacker's favorite, you know, yeah. um, hijacker's favorite vehicle to drive. 
and said to apologize <laughs> profusely and said, I'm so sorry I'm actually not trying to hijack you I followed the wrong vehicle <laughs> and I finally got to the royal and told them the whole story but yeah that's one of the things I've done almost hijacked people nice <laughs> <laughs> but anyway um, sometimes uh, we always uh, have to find that space in our time to 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 meditate and mm. to to remove ourselves from this busy world that we're in what is one of your favorite Quranic verses and why the Quranic verse would be um, O you who believe stand for justice no matter who it is for or against whether it is rich or poor or yourself or your family and I'm paraphrasing um, that for me I think has been one of the verses revealed to us that has really shaped me as a person mm. I think it's also inscribed on the walls of Harvard Law Library or something of that sort you yeah. know so I mean it really has found a resonance around the world and amongst different people so it would definitely be that one um, and I think also poetry, like like Jalal Rumi, who you've mentioned, if it is love you seek, cut off the head of fear. Beautiful. Absolutely. And finally, if you could speak to a younger you, what advice would you give yourself? I would say to myself that you are going to make a difference in this world. You're going to plant seeds. You're going to be humbled by the impact that that's going to have. And you're going to live a life with purpose. Thank you so much for your time, Shabnam. You've been an inspiration in the few minutes that we could share with you. We wish you all the best in, in everything you're doing and we'd love to be part of this uh, journey that you're going through. Alhamdulillah, Shukran. my infinite gratitude to accidental Muslims, to yourself. Uh, and I hope and I pray that this project that you have embarked on grows in leaps and bounds. So this is a poem that I've written in March this year around Human Rights Day and it's called Will You Be My Palestine? Will you be my Palestine? Will you be my unconditional love, my undefeatable hope, my world-inspiring unity, my thirst for peace? Will you be my astonishing wisdom, my limitless courage, my enduring determination for my freedom? Will you be my ability to wake up and sleep, terrorized by oppression, and yet find ways to live, to breathe, to smile? See, they used to say that Palestinians fight like heroes. Now they say heroes fight like Palestinians. So will you learn about my 70-year struggle, teach others the whole truth and never ever forget? Will you be my stolen land, my poisoned water, my crops, my soil, my homes, my animals, my human rights, my olive trees? Will you talk about my dompas, my occupation, my torture, my detention, my massacred people and seas of blood? Will you be my children who struggle for education because they live in the concentration camp called Gaza? Will you fight Israeli apartheid lies in corporate-controlled media that wants my resources, yes, even the West Bank? Will you be my resistance on the ground and online? Will you stand up for me all the time? Will you be my Archbishop Desmond Tutu? Will you be my Nanda Subban? Will you be my Leila Khalid, whose serenely fierce resistance is legendary? Will you be my Rachel Corey, run over twice by an IDF tank while protecting Palestinian homes? Will you be my Jannah Jihad, a teenager, an activist, a journalist standing up to violent economic apartheid? Will you mobilize, organize, galvanize, diarize, because realize, 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 and then that wall must fall? Will you be my music, my colors, my religions, my cultures, my kafir, and my beloved flag flying in the wind? Will you be my amandla, 
From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. So will you be my Palestine? Shukran, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum Shukran for listening. We hope we added value to your life and that you enjoyed this podcast. We hope our guest has helped you live your life with purpose. Don't forget to forward all suggestions and feedback to info at accidentalmuslims.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You're listening to accidentalmuslims.com.